it ate me inside too, right? Like here I'm supposed to be the leader of my family and I'm still looking at pornography. It really wasn't until two years ago through uh, Michael Pearl, just reading the scriptures, especially Michael Pearl, but it was his Roman series, where I realized that I am dead to sin. When Christ died, I died with him. That no longer does sin have power over me, but now it's Christ that reigns through me that I can stop sinning. That was absolutely um, freeing, freeing to know. Episode 39 of In Light of the Gospel, I'm Dan Blotz. Today I'm speaking with Cornelius Thiessen from Alberta. He uh, is very, very straightforward and plain about his former pornography use and even his wife's promiscuity. Very vulnerable, very open with us. And I think that if you have struggled with these types of things, you will get a lot out of it because he somehow through the gospel was able to learn to forgive his wife. Uh, he was able to overcome pornography and uh, the gospel was the only power by which he could do it. And I, I really hope that this is valuable to you, that it will put an impression upon your heart that you too can be free and that if you know someone else that's struggling and suffering under these types of things, that there is help, that there is hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So thanks for tuning in and I appreciate you sharing these messages with your friends. God bless you. I should also mention that uh, during this conversation, you'll see Cornelius's screen freeze a few times because the connection from here to Alberta, something wasn't perfect. Uh, the audio is mostly pretty good, so I think there's a lot of value in it, and it's well recorded well enough to where I think you'll get over some of those minor issues. So thanks again for dealing with these uh, things as they come. couple over actually Gerhard they were over yesterday and was like if it wasn't by the blood it's like me and my wife wouldn't be together they said they wouldn't be together and I was like that's kind of that's how we are if it wasn't for Christ what he'd done our marriage was headed in a bad direction right her past everything so in a way I want to bring it out but not to put her down it's like if they knew who we were now in our marriage now you'd understand all us forgiven is we don't even think about that right like it's it's not yeah. the blood but it's sensitive stuff for sure yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're good with it and she's uh, kind of given the go ahead, then I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, you look at um, look at Romans chapter three and four, and it talks about how where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Romans five, right? Oh yeah. Um, and so, yep. if if God is magnified by my lie, why am I yet judged a sinner? So there's there's um. Yeah. some error in that thinking, but there's also some truth in it. If somebody does sin greatly yep. and, and yep. didn't have a good upbringing and they did make a mess of their life and then God saves them, how much more honor and glory does he not get because of that, right? So, Amen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, exactly that. Uh, we've talked about where, you know, I've heard people say when they have, they have say they have an ultras life and they get a baby and they're like, you know what? God wanted me to have this baby that he could be more glorified. I was like, that's that's not biblical. <laughs> Now, if you're living in sin and you have a baby and you become born again, he can use that for his glorification, but he didn't uh, predestine you to have a baby out of adultery, you know? Yeah. Like our life and everything we've done, it was because we weren't saved, you know? It's like, but now that we are saved, we can use that for his glory and, and witness to people saying, hey, like, life can get, get bad. Marriage can be bad if you don't have Christ, you know, because forgiveness and so much guilt, I mean, it really tears people down, so... Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I do think a lot of people do get that wrong, where they think that uh, everything that happens is because it's God's will, where rather yep. what Romans chapter 8, 28 says is that God can work all things together for the good of them that love God, right? So yep. a lot of horrible exactly. things happen. I've done bad things. People have done bad things to me. Bad things have just happened to me. And it's like, this is all bad. And then, but I love God, yeah. okay? God's going to turn it all for his good, for your good and for his glory, right? So yeah. that's a big difference from yeah, God difference. making it happen, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. for sure. So let's let's go back then and uh, start <clears throat> kind of when you were younger. You, As far as I understand, you were raised a good old colony boy? Yep, yep. In, I in have Alberta very, very Mexico? In Alberta, in Alberta. Yeah, I was born in Mexico. And when we were about two months, um, we moved down here to Canada, uh, to Southern Alberta. I think it was in, we lived in Tabor for a bit, but in this area here, for sure, all my life, I've, I've been and grew up here. So they kind of actually, when I was two months, they came down to the border. It's kind of, I didn't realize until probably I was in grade 10 or something. I remember sharing it, not grade 10. I was 10 years old, but they actually smuggled me in, so maybe they didn't have papers or anything because i was so young and they had me wrapped up and they put me between the um the two seats of the car in the middle in the back yeah. and then as they got to the border they just grabbed a suitcase and i think they put it on me and then <laughs> i didn't cry or anything <laughs> and then they, and then they brought me through so that was kind of a funny story <laughs> there you go illegal canadian in the illegal canadian <laughs> i got my papers now so there you go so that was good. Other than that, yeah, I grew up in uh, Burdette, Alberta, actually. Burdette, where, where is that? Now. Oh, uh, it's not six... far from Tabor then. No, it's 17, no, 35 kilometers from Tabor um, east. So where I'm living now is Boiland, Alberta. It's 11 kilometers away, actually, where I grew up. And then Boiland here is where I did all my hanging out and stuff like that. So anyways, when we were young, like I have very, very good, fond memories of, of growing up. I... I've always enjoyed life. I remember uh, I was probably 11, 12. I actually got made fun of. They'd say, you know what? Like, you're never going to have friends because I was too joyful. I was too happy. You know, I, I laughed all the time. Hmm. And they made fun of me for that. But I've, I have some good memories. So when we lived in Burdette here, um, we went to public school. Probably from kindergarten on, uh, I went to public school in grade Grade one, I had a, a very close friend who had been my best friend. We were um, from kindergarten to grade one. We did everything together. So we had Nintendo 64. We played Hot Wheels all the time. I had Nintendo 64. And then it was grade two. So I got held back here. He went to grade two. And then I went to grade one again. Mm. Um, the teachers thought it was necessary. I was, you know, I lost my friend technically because then in that class, when I went to grade one again, I ended up finding three other friends. So they be, they became my best friends that pretty much until we got married, we were together. I mean, we did everything together every Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, you know, we kind of hung out. So, okay. Yeah. That's, um, that's kind of like my childhood too. Same friends all throughout. Oh yeah. Yeah. And now we don't see each other that much. I, I guess it happens when you get married and stuff, but so when we, um, as I got a little bit older, you know, we, we walked, we were probably two blocks away from a skating rink. So me and my brother all winter long, we, we would have family passes, like every evening we'd go skating. And I mean, family was good at home. My dad, he did drink. He, uh, when he was busy working, he didn't drink that much. Right. But 
there was years like as I got a little bit older, it seemed like I don't know if life got a little harder for him. He started drinking a little bit more, but that never really affected me. I mean, like my mom, she was very, very in love with my dad. She said when she was probably 16, she said she saw my dad and she's like, I'm going to marry that man. Hmm. She's like, she just loved him. And so even though he drank in a lot, she never, ever did she say a bad word. Like she respected him, reverenced him, you know, and it, she never, we just didn't understand, you know, like the love she had for him and how she technically to me would be covered his sin with love. Okay. And I, when I talk to other couples, it seems like not many have that, but my parents, I mean, they would flirt and chase each other around the house. I would try to, you know, dad smack her bum a little bit or something, <laughs> you know, and they would kiss in front of us and all that. So we just very, very secure, you know, that gives kids security seeing that yeah. their mom and dad love each other. And um, so that was a lot of fun. Like my, they were strict, you know, no meant no. And if you did, didn't do it, I mean, you'd get, they'd take you to the back, you know, and spank you and yep. good old fashioned way. And we've always, yeah, it's been like, when I look back, I have very, very fond memories of growing up. And then, so we were in Bredette until I was probably about, I think it was nine, eight or nine. So in, and my, in school too, with my friends, it was probably like eight or nine where I started where us as friends, we would start talking about girls more of an, a negative way. Like we, we wanted girls and I don't know if it was about that same time. I was very young where I started um, for, masturbating, fornicating, I don't know what you want to call that. If you want to say masturbating, it's fine. Uh, where I started that and I don't know if my friends influenced me. So from a very, very young age, I lusted after women. I mean, it would be like you'd have the Sears magazine, you know, it's like I would start yeah. looking at the, the lingerie and all that sort of stuff. So it started early on, but other than that, like people didn't notice that I started doing this stuff. I was very, very secretive and I've kind of been that way until I got born again, where that's how I learned myself away way on technology, learning how to hide my sin, right? Like learning all the ins and outs and how to hide all this sort of stuff. But anyways, then we moved, actually that's when we moved on to the acreage. My room, my dad worked, they had a, like it's a big farm and he had a house. We moved there when I was probably about nine years old and life got even better there. I mean, I, we had pigs, cows, chickens, we had dogs and I just loved life. I mean, every day was, was such a good day. I remember one time where, well, and I gained, so in the summer was all I did was pretty much, I had a BB gun. We got BB gun we were there at Pelican. So hmm. like all summer I would go around and I would shoot birds or like just go hunting technically. Yep. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I started, it's like my neighbors lived 800 meters away. So they were the next acreage over and I would walk there. He happened to be my best friend too. So they're my cousins and my best friend. So we hung out a lot. And I mean like a lot. And we would start, we started, a, we had a pond in front of our acreage there. Um, pretty close anyways and there was there was ducks so in the springtime we would go and find these little baby ducks we'd catch them and then we'd have like a basket or whatever we'd catch them bring them to my house and then i built like um, a big box like and use chicken wire and then we had an old bathtub i built like a whole ramp into there hmm. we went and caught minnows and i like built this whole thing for my ducks <laughs> that's awesome 
Yeah, but the problem is uh, none of them really ever survived. I don't know why. I gave them chicken food and everything, and we had minnows, but <laughs> none of them really made it. <laughs> Just not domesticated, eh? So, but man, that sounds like a pretty, pretty sweet, idyllic type of uh, upbringing, right? Like out in the country, running around, doing what you want as oh. a boy, hunting, shooting, killing, whatever, exploring and yep. playing with the neighbor. Um, being yeah. out in the country like that, that's, and then parents that are happily, you know, being uh, in love that way, it sounds like a very rare yeah. childhood. But yeah. I get, so like, I get the, the lust part of things, you know, you look at our culture now, and oh. it's the uh, options and opportunities for lust are so extraordinary that they yeah. would kind of laugh maybe now at the fact that the Sears catalog got a lot of us young boys oh. into trouble, right? But that was, yep. that's all it takes for a young boy with testosterone. That, that is all it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like we even, um, like I was probably, I got a phone when I was 16. These were the little flip phones. And I found ways, like you could get wallpapers and I found ways that way to get kind of almost like these just about naked women on there. Yeah. So that's why like, I'm pretty smart with a phone because I used to really have to, because of my lust and everything was so strong. It's like, I would just find ways to, to get anyhow I could. I mean, when we were walking around, this was when I was a little bit older, we'd walk around town. I would anyways, and I would look through like any pipes or anything. And we found like porn, porn pornography magazines in the town in Bow Island here. Like, my my lust was very very high yeah but it didn't start like it started small right it started with the sears magazines and then it started at school with the girls there you would start lusting after them and then probably so when we were on the acreage this is probably going to be about 10 11 um my neighbor so this my, my other best friend lived on that same road but he would be about six five to six kilometers further down and we would hang out quite a bit too. And he had internet and uh, we would start looking up girls there. But um, yeah, a little bit of pornography there. I don't know if we printed any of that stuff. That was still dial-up internet. So it took a long time, but that's kind of where it really started um, taking off probably. Yeah. Yeah. And I was also, um, I had an older brother. So I was probably 11. My first time I saw pornography, I think I was 11. My brother would have been... 13 or 14 so he had a big stack of car magazines and now yeah, promiscuous girls on there but he actually had a pornography magazine in there hmm. and i was looking through it and all of a sudden i took one out and i was like i was just i don't know what you want to say like just loved it i mean i opened it and the the rush it gave me and that was the first time i saw pornography that, that from then on i was extremely extremely but i anyone i think my friends obviously knew because that's all we talked about was girls and sex and even we didn't know how, how any of it worked yet but mm. that was kind of from then on it was very very regular that i would you know try to find something to, to get off that's crazy so, it can just take over your whole yeah, life eh? it, it it really did it it came really far into our our dating later on but um, but other than that, like besides pornography, like life, other than that, life was still great. Like, um, I had good friends, family was good. Our siblings, we didn't, we're not like a, a very touchy feely, close kind of siblings, but there were never like hate or disputes or anything like that. And it was probably, 
a little bit later on before we actually moved back to Boylan or Burdett, sorry, where it, it seemed like maybe life got harder for my dad. He started drinking more. Um, there were some embarrassing times where, because also he, he worked with his, that would have been his brother-in-law and they were, that was my cousin. And they would go there, he would go there often drinking, we'd go there and drink and, and come home drunk. And, um, you know, for me, it was like, I, I knew it wasn't right, but not that it changed my view of my father, right? I, I always looked up to him. There was probably like, he was an old colony, you know, Mennonite man where he, he worked, provided for his family. We didn't, we didn't have family outings. We didn't have, um, I would say father something. The only thing I really remember that me and my dad did together that I still uh, think, look back and enjoy is we went and we, when we had pigs, it would be just me and my dad. And we'd go, it'd be about an hour and a half one way on a little finger to go pick up two big 300-pound pigs, right? And our Ford Ranger would sit like this, like really low, <laughs> look like the bottom out. And it was fun, right? Because it was just me and my dad. And uh, so that was, those are probably my fondest memories of him. Like he was, other than that, he was never an angry man. And I mean never. He was. But not, when he, when he, he got drunk, then angry. he got out of hand or no? Never, never. Interesting. No, he... Yeah, he was, um, I don't know what you want to say, what kind of temperament, but like he, if he was drunk, he would just kind of like, you know, like, like drunk people do, how they would walk and stuff. and um, But never but abusive, never, didn't yell never. and scream. Interesting. Nope. No, he was the type of man where it's like, if if he said no, he meant no, and if you disobeyed him, you would get corrected. But he would do it in a, in a way where, to say if if I did something really bad, like there was the one time I remember we lived in Bredetsdorf at that time. All we he said, "Don't play with the water." And all the parents slept, and just their kids at home, and we played with the water. We had a cousin's house, and we played with water. We were soaking wet, and then um, he came home. They came to uh, that house we were at, and obviously he was extremely upset. But he said, "If you come home." It was three blocks away. He's like, if you come home and you're dry, I will not spank you. I was, I'm, I walked slow. <laughs> and I got home and I was still wet. And then he's like, okay, looks like you're still wet. So he just, okay, you go grab that and you come downstairs. It was all my siblings. And he was like, just calm. He's like, he, we all had to do our thing, bend over and he'd whip us. And, and that was it. I mean, he never, ever that I remember that he would get angry and whip us. He would, if he was angry, he would wait. And then he would do it after. Okay. And when you say yeah. whip, uh, some people might be imagining like a, a whip, uh, you know, slashing your back open or something. It was probably more yep. like with a belt and just giving you some stripes, eh? That's right. Yeah. Just a, just a belt, a good hard belt. <laughs> yeah. It yeah, doesn't make it, it any more fun, but. doesn't make it any more fun, no. But I look back now, like when me and my wife talk about her childhood, she's like, you know what? I deserve that. I needed that. I, and I would have appreciated it, but her mom didn't give it to her, you know? It does yeah. something to a person where it's like, like I heard, was it you that talked about your son? Yeah, I think it was you where like you told him, you know, it's like I can correct you and you will feel better because it, it frees their guilty conscience, right? It corrects them. Yeah. But then, you know, one day you can do it to the Lord. So for me, it's like every time dad did that, I understood I did something wrong and I knew I disobeyed him and he corrected and then it, it took the guilt away, right? And then life, life was good, normal. There was never where... You know, it's like he corrected us after that, man. We had to go 
we hated it at the time, but we'd have to go and give him a hug and a kiss, you know, mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes later. And he was all around a very loving man. Wow. Know? That is impressive. Yeah. My my parents definitely really tried yeah. to do that. They uh, didn't always keep their yeah. cool, but they tried to be very careful with the way that they disciplined my mom. I remember often saying, you know, this, this she'd be crying, right? You know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I'm like, yeah. whatever, mom, you yeah. got no idea what you're saying. <laughs> but I did respect yeah. them for it, right? Because I knew that they cared yeah. enough. I mean, I couldn't have articulated at the time, but I knew that they cared enough to not let me go my own way, right? Yeah. And a dad that's unengaged, uninvolved is a very dangerous man you know that he can allow allow a lot of enemy the enemy to come in and attack um fathers are often loved by their kids by their daughters more than they do their moms because their dad was a dangerous man but not dangerous to them he was dangerous to the world outside right he was their protector he was their their captain or their guide right and so a father that's engaged is very powerful but a father that's unengaged is very dangerous to the family. So yeah, it's quite a contrast from you to your wife then, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, fast forward a little bit. We, um, we moved back to the, uh, back to Burdette there. And that was probably when I was about, I want to say 14. And that's when we really started me and my friends. It started with us. Like every Sunday we would just hang out and watch movies together and then um, this is probably 14, 14 and a half. That's when we really started with uh, the bunch and stuff. There's a little bunch in Bois, and we started hanging out there. And then it probably did not take long, even in school. So this before we even went to the bunch. It's like two out of three of my friends had girlfriends. And then when we started dating, or not dating, going to the bunch, my other friend had had a girlfriend, and I was always alone. Like, I... They didn't all have girlfriends at the same time, but, you know, they still like girlfriends. And then probably I was 10, nine or 10 years old. I started, I gained quite a bit of weight, but from then on I was chubby. And I remember thinking like, I'm, I'm going to die alone. I'm never going to get married. Like looking at, looking at um, my friends and just who I was, I was like, I'm, I'm just never going to have a wife. Like how would God bless me with a wife and children i was like i'm just i'm never gonna have that for some reason i'm pretty negative in that area but yeah yeah and then it was probably um the the bunch went on it it wasn't good i mean it was it was like then on or i know it's worse now but it was still all about hooking up right like you you get the alcohol you're underage and it's like what do you do when you drink you try to find the girls because you want you want to have sex right like i did it in my mind already because i was in pornography already four or five years i mean heavily wow and then probably by the time i got to 16 where i saw met my girlfriend at the time it was getting uh quite a bit worse like i don't know how you want to maybe i'll touch on that a little bit later when i get into it anyways like pornography is a gateway to me like it's in a gateway soft pornography is like just man woman all that stuff it's a gateway to hardcore pornography which is like abusive bestiality all that sort of stuff it leads the mind because the simple stuff doesn't please you anymore yeah right it's just, i remember when i started it was one picture and you could get off on that 
a couple of years of that, you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And you, you need something to get that high again. And then the average, it doesn't do it. Right. So it just yeah. corrupts your mind. That stuff. The garbage bin. You know, anyways, when to interrupt there our, just for a second, for if you don't mind. Um, I read something okay. earlier this early this week that really kind of stood out to me. It was an author um, uh, named Michael Foster. I think his name is. Yeah. Michael Foster. He wrote a, wrote a book called it's good to be a man. And he, he mentions in there that the devil hates sex. And then it's like, yep. what do you mean the devil hates sex? How could he hate sex? He's the one that's always promoting yep. it. Promiscuity and illicit yep. sex and pornography. Like the devil loves it. No, no, no. Sex, true, genuine sex is procreative. It's fruitful. Amen. It leads to intimacy and love and connection and tenderness. And all the stuff that the devil promotes in the end destroys good sex. It always attacks yep. that yep. which God has been has created for for good and for love and for for all the the benefits, right? And so, when you think of pornography, yeah. you'd think, well, that's a promotion of sex. No, no, no it's a de degradation of sex. Yeah. It's a downgrade from what yeah, God exactly. designed, right? And so, you'd think, well, yeah. I'm obsessed with sex. No, 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 your your mind is being filled with a dirtiness and a filth. It's a a misconstrued yeah. lust and a drive, a natural drive that's been twisted in a way by the devil's temptations, right? Yep. Sorry, anyway. Yep. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And see, I I wasn't I wasn't taught that the whole Mennonite thing is you don't talk about this stuff, right? And I that's something me and my wife have talked about. Our kids need to know. Because it's now than it was back then. When I was a kid, you had flip phones, right? Now you have smartphones. You have tabs, you have all the stuff that kids can, if you're as smart as I was, you're going to find a way to get to look at that pornography, right? If someone shows you it and you get that lost, you're going to find a way to get it again, that hit that, that you got before. So, yeah, when I, when I met my girlfriend, like she was, she was a total, like, uh, she was English. I was Mennonite, right? And the I met her, like she was, um, she was just walking on the street and, like it was probably just lost. I seen her and I was like, that is a pretty hot girl. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I got to follow her. So I just went and followed her. And then we invited her to a bridge jump we did and um, got to know her there just a very little bit. I guess we kind of like the same music. So she's like, oh, okay, I kind of like this guy. We like the same music. And, and it was about two, three Sundays later, we went on our first date. And from then on, we, started dating like i i really liked her but it got physical pretty quickly like that was kind of um not for me probably for her more it was kind of the main thing because she grew up that way very very promiscuous and stuff like that and um you know it was actually like i enjoyed it i enjoyed the relationship and everything but it was so there was no trust because I knew who she was after the second or third date already. And for some reason, I just, the lust was still there that I just, I just wanted her more. And I think it was the same for her. It was more, it was more goal. Actual. I don't think real love came until we just about got married. I mean, her feelings probably started growing, but I don't think the actual real love was there. I mean, she said, I love you, I think like the fourth date or something like that. And I was kind of like, wow, that's, that's pretty quick. You know, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. This is my first date. She was my first girlfriend. And then to, to say that right away, it was kind of hard, but, but dating was, 
it was miserable because like we had our good Sundays, but for one was to, to my family, right? My brother knew who she was because of his friends and all that. The friends he hung out with, those were the people that she hung with, which was the older crowd because I was a little bit younger. And um, so he would, I mean, he would bash her like every Sunday. It's like, if you ever saw us together, I mean, he would, there's times he, I remember coming home and he would, I came inside or just before I came inside, he was standing out there and he called her wicked names and like, you know, just, just hated her. And my family, she was English and all that, hated her. My friends, really nobody wanted us together, yet we stuck together, right? We broke up because of my family about uh, three times during oh, our dating life there. Yeah. I remember the one time my dad's like, if you if you break up with her, because I wanted a car, if you break up with her, I'll get you that car. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do it. I remember crying. We're not crying, calling her. She started crying. And I was like, I don't want to do this, but I got I to gotta break up. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember coming after breaking up with her, coming, sitting down. I was like, it's done, dad. It's done. I was like, I feel so miserable. Like, yeah. Man, oh, man, so, that sounds like a tough, uh, a tough relationship. She came from a yeah. pretty rough home too, eh? Like I think I remember you saying that her dad wasn't around at all. No, she never met her dad. No, she was when she was probably one or two. Her dad was in the picture. We have a picture of him, but we've never. She's never met him or anything. Um, yeah, so she grew up fatherless, and I think that's a very, very big reason of the way she ended up. Right? She, um, her mom wouldn't didn't correct her whatever she wanted she would get like she did this one time her there's a christmas tree and it was full of presents i mean full of presents a bike and everything and it was all for her and yet she was unthankful and it was all for her she's like i grew up a spoiled brat hmm. and she grew up so with not having a father she grew up to be very manipulative right so she would do that with uh, men and boys like she would she know how to get her way she'd throw the tears and you know we kind of we worked that out, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is not to defame her, obviously. Oh, not at all. Oh, she seems goodness, like no. a very sweet lady. We really enjoyed her company. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is all before Christ for sure. Like we um so before we got married, so our our, our dating life was extremely rough. I would say there was a lot of um mistrust. Like I did not trust her. So she would go to parties and I would get angry. I mean, I would punch the fence and I would like, I was like knuckles bleeding. I was so angry because I knew it was going to happen. She'd go there and like she might hook up with someone or something. Like, I'm not there. But then if I wanted to go to hang out with people, it's like she wouldn't even let me go because then she would get angry. And I was like, how is that fair that you can go and I can't go? And the reason was because of what she did. She thought I was going to do the same thing. Mm. And so that was hard, but you know, fast forward a bit to just got married there was a just one more incident where uh old boyfriend came in i don't know they, they must have she he was 18 and she was probably like 13 or 14 when they dated it was a very long time ago and he's like you know what one day like, i'm gonna come back for you and then so it turns out that he started hearing rumors that there was a mennonite girl who was gonna or english girl sorry who was gonna join the mennonite and he's like i wonder if it's if it's her because she did hang out with some mennonites and it turned out it was, so he reached out, and then the wife said because of past feelings and stuff, she chose the wrong one. She chose him over me, and soon out, I was 
I called her right away and I said, we were just getting to get baptized and we were gonna get married a couple months later. I said, it's over. Like our relationship is over. And she was, I mean, she cried hard. She's like, you know what? She's like, if it's over, you're going to have to take that ring off my finger. I was like, okay. I was like, I'm working uh, like 30 kilometers away. I was like, okay, you come. I was like, I'm going to take that ring off your finger. And I remember she came there and I, uh, I sat in the car and she just cried and cried. And I was like, it's, it's over. It's over. So she put out her hand and I pulled off the ring. And then I was like, I was like, okay, bye. And I just walked away. And I mean, I didn't want to, like I, I did by then love, but the betrayal, I guess, you know, that, that she would choose someone else over me, especially now that we were getting so close to getting married and all that. Yeah. Um, so I, anyways, she went to my sisters and then she ended up calling the deacon whom we were going to get baptized to and saying, Hey, like <laughs> everything's a mess. Everything got broken off now. And I think it was about three days later, we went there, had a meeting with him and he, kind of talked us through it, you know, I don't know if we really shared what happened, but um, she's like, you know what? She told me her messages, like, she's like, I've broken off ties with him. I told him everything. And I, she's like, I want you. She's like, I realized after that mistake, she's like, what I had, I didn't realize until I chose him over you. Hmm. So I was like, you know what? I'll give you a second chance. And um, we got baptized couple of months later we got uh, we got married in August and our first year was was very very rough in marriage too because I still didn't trust her right I I people would come over I I needed to know where she was if anyone came over I was like what are they doing here like you can't have specific people over because I feel like they're going to bring you back to your old life and it was very very hard very hard yeah, I can but imagine. yeah it was still I think we were married two years. So when our first year, no, our second year, we had our first one, which would be Nim. And then it, it puts a lot of pressure, man. It's like, okay, now I have a wife. And it's like, and now I have a young child. And it's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to lead my family? And it was right about that time I started working with a, a good friend of mine. And he was a Christian. And he started, he had um, Christian music. And he would kind of, I don't know if, like question me. Like I, I thought he was area shooting. So I was still a bit religious, you know, and he, we actually went to the same church. We got baptized at the same time. So that's how we became friends and then we started working together. But I would decide he was area shooting, you know, <laughs> just the way he would talk about Christ and stuff like that. And I was like, he was still old colony though. Um, oh no. So sorry. We got, we got married in Rhineland. Oh, right. Old colony. They, they didn't accept us because she was English. So we were, yeah, we were in that church. Um, yeah, no, we'll calling that wouldn't have worked either. Uh, thankfully, well, we didn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, this is not the story, but it's very intriguing to me. When we spoke to your wife, she's completely yeah. not Deech at all, even has some native yeah. uh, in her blood, right? So she's got a That's pretty right, dark yeah. complexion. And she, yeah. she was telling us that she had gone through the whole transformation. She got baptized at yeah. Rhineland Church. She wore the head covering. She wore the dress. Yep. She learned Plotich. She can understand and yep. speak Plotich really well. And it's just amazing the commitment she made. That was all kind of yeah. to get married to you? Or was that after you guys got married that she really made that no, commitment? No, that was, that was before. She's like, you know what? She's like, I'm going to do the dresses. I'm going to learn German. And that was all at that time we were at the deacon there, at the pastor. He's like, she's like, I'm going to do all that she's like i'm gonna do it for you you know to, to prove hmm. that she actually wanted me instead of the other guy yeah wow so that's where all that kind of started and i was like okay like if you 
if you're willing to do that, I was like, I, I do want to make it work, you know? So yeah, I know that. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, man. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. So anyways, we started, we started working together. So it was me, uh, Abe and Johnny. So three guys. And then I don't know if Johnny was saved or not, but Abe was. And so he kind of started witnessing to us. And uh, we ended up, I think after a year or two working together, we started a Bible study, uh, us three guys. Abe was kind of the leader in it. And I remember I pretty much had to drag my wife there. She wanted nothing to do with any of the Bible or something like that. And she's like, you know what? We're going to church. I'm doing the head coverings. Like, that's enough. I don't want, I don't want any of this other stuff. Yeah. But I was like, no, we're going. It's like, I need something. I don't know what it is, but I need something. <laughs> and hmm. so we're, we're going to go to this. And it was great. Like it was such a eye opener for me to, and it was right at that time when he started the Bible studies, when he left the church. So I thought he was even worse, even more of you shooting. But I was like, you know, he's still got something like, what does he have that I don't have? Like he, um, the way him and his wife were and, and um, he just seemed nicer, I guess. Word on more Christ like would be, would be accurate. And, um, so and we and we did a lot of far away jobs. So we work here and then we'd go away for a week and come back and go away for a week sometimes. And then that's probably when he did the most. You know, we'd talk and we'd watch things together. We'd listen while we were driving. And then that's when I came across because we listened to a, a AM station that had Adrian Rogers, um, Charles Stanley. There's another guy. Nice. All them. I started listening to them. I started having this hunger. Like, what? What is this gospel? You know. In church, I wasn't really getting it because German and just the old-fashioned way, there wasn't much gospel in there. And I remember this one time we were, um, we did a job in Three Hills, uh, sorry, Strathmore, and we were staying in a motel, and I think I was alone there. And I remember watching a video of Adrian Rogers, and at the end of the video, he had like the altar call and everything like that, and I was like, I gave my life to the Lord there. And um, from then on, things started getting substantially better. Like my wife, she since she was English and all that, for some she just she, every time she'd get angry at me, she would slam the door, you know. And then I would get angry or we'd argue or something like that. And from then on, it's like we, she would try to start a fight. She just some reason like to provoke me a bit. <laughs> and then I, uh, I just didn't do it anymore. And it made her even more angry. She's like, "Why aren't you angry?" It's like, "I'm angry at you, and you're not angry at me." And I was like, you know what, hon? I was like, we we need to change. It's like something, something is different. It's like we need to change. She's like, she just couldn't understand because she wasn't born again. And it wasn't until I think I was a Christian, probably three three years before. There was this uh, this one evening we were sitting on the couch there, and I was like, hon, I was like, we need to talk. She's like, no, we don't need to talk. I was like, hon, we need to talk. I think she kind of knew what it was about is about her past because she had never told me and I, I, I knew she didn't know I knew everything. And so we sat there and she, so she's like, you know what? She was kind of angry at me. So she's like, I'm just going to lay everything on him. So she told me everything, all her past. And, uh, I remember looking at her and I was like, hun, I was like, I, I know, I know what you did when we were dating. I know what happened before we got married. She's like, I know everything. She's like, what? You knew all this time. And it's like, I've been carrying this guilt and you knew and you didn't say anything. I was like, well, like, how how am I going to bring it up to you? You know? And I I remember we both knelt down and prayed and, and um, 
she's not quite sure if she got saved there. I don't think she did. But anyways, from then on, it's like our marriage got substantially better. And now there could but finally be some starstruck. open open lines, right? And some trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but even until then, like, you know, when you get baptized, you, you're holy and all that. And I think that was the only period where I didn't look pornography. But then as soon as we got married, I started because of how our marriage was and stuff like that. I, I still went back into pornography. Yeah. And it, it ate me inside too. Right. Like, especially, and then we had our, we had Nathan and I was like, here, I'm supposed to be the leader of my family. And I, I'm still looking at pornography. It really wasn't until two years ago through uh, Michael Pearl and just reading the scriptures, especially Michael Pearl. I don't know if it was, um, I don't know, it's not Sin No More, but it was his Roman series where I realized that I am dead to sin. That when Christ died, I died with him. That no longer does sin have power over me, but now it's Christ that reigns through me that now I just say no and I can stop sinning. Right. And that was absolutely um, freeing, freeing to know. Like I was probably a baby Christian for four years. Like we, I, I was saved. I knew the very, very basic. And I just felt like I couldn't overcome sin because I just, I knew Christ died for me, yet I didn't know the power there was. Yeah. Like it was, um, this was two years, two maybe three years ago now i remember working one time and uh i don't know if that's when like i sometimes still struggle like is that when i got again or the first time with agent in uh straight more there but uh, regardless i'm safe now and that's all that matters i remember working there and i was just just thinking like i uh what what christ did for me you know people talk about you know like christ died for the ungodly it's like for some reason you think that you're still kind of godly, like going to church and you have all this stuff. You you have your own righteousness, and then realizing that all of a sudden it's like it was me that nailed Christ to the cross. Yeah. Like what I did, my sin, all the the lost pornography, all that stuff. It's like that nailed Christ to the cross. Like my sin put him there, and then to realize that he bore that for me, and that now. He imputes his righteousness to, to me. The son of God died for me, imputes his righteousness. And then now I can be called a saint, like absolutely <laughs> blow, blown away. The, the grace of, I, I'm still amazed. I, I think people don't know. If people knew, people would be saved. Yeah. To know that the creator, when you look at the world, the creator of heaven and earth, Came in the flesh, came as a babe, like this little fragile babe, came as a babe, became a man, was perfect, and then died for us. God Almighty died for us. You know, right. that ought to bring everybody to repentance, but it doesn't because people love sin. It's terrible. But man, when I realized that, I came home and I said, hun, I was like, our life needs to change. I was like, I feel like we're living in sin. I was like, we need to change. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know. I was like, but we're, we're changing. I was like, if I lose you, if we're going to go homeless, I was like, I don't care. I'm going to serve Christ. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, she was, she was, I think, eight months pregnant. She was very freaked out at that time. No, we just had a baby. I'm so sorry. We just had a baby and she, she didn't talk for almost a week because I was just so fired up. And 
every evening I had the scriptures like, hon, like, look what the Bible says here. Look what the Bible says here. It's like, hon, like, all the stuff we believed is not, is not real. It's like the Bible's so clear. It's like we're his righteousness. Christ died for us. And I was like, and now, and now look, and here in Rome, it's like we're free, right? When Christ said, I died, and she just didn't know what to do with herself at that time. And, and that's probably one of the best times ever. I, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Eh? When when your your life gets to such a place where you're like you're you're try, trying to be good now, you're trying to be religious. You know, you maybe you do understand yep. enough to know that I'm saved by the work of Jesus somehow. You know, maybe God is merciful yep. through the through the death, burial, resurrection. I'm saved, but then to see not only that, but He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and that we can now walk yep. like it's it's for today. You know, most people believe yeah. that that the gospel and what Christ has done is for the future. One day when we're in heaven, we'll realize how good God is because he forgave us for all our sins. But right now, today, yeah. the cross can have such a huge effect on you, right? And if you understand yeah. that you were crucified, when Jesus was crucified, you also were crucified with him. You were baptized into his body, buried with him, and now raised together yeah. with him, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and some extraordinary things that really by all natural accounts are kind of ridiculous statements to say i'm yeah, crucified yeah. i'm in heaven i'm seated with christ my life is hid with christ and god i'm no longer bound to sin i'm free from it uh, I'm, I'm completely forgiven i'm 100 righteous none of those statements make any sense in the flesh yeah but because yeah. the word of god is living and powerful and it's it is his word we can live yeah. in that reality instead of our own reality right and it yeah. changes it changes the here and now that's exactly right yeah and i think like that time when i was in the truck there like i was actually just crying whatsapping my wife and i i wrote like two or three pages of stuff i was just thinking about the lord and all that and one thing that i wrote down and it was a bible verse but it's just saying that people don't know oh man pretty much it was just, it was like a verse talking about people don't know the power of god right like it when you get born again, there is a power there that saves you and redeems you. And yet now you live like Christ because Christ lives through you. He gives you that strength to live like Christ. And people are so, I don't know, asleep or, or ignorant of truth, of doctrine. People are just, I feel like, being fed milk. It's like if they knew the truth that's in the scripture, they would live differently. I think yeah. people would have more of a zeal to go and witness people. And I, I lack that as well. It's like if the more I read, the more I'm, I see how much people need Christ. I was listening a bit to Michael Pearl today again, where it's about, uh, you know, people that would die, that die without Christ. They're going to die anyways. And they're going to go to hell anyways because of their sin. But you still need to go because you have the, you have the cure. You have the cure for sin. It's Christ and the gospel. Yeah. You need to still go out and witness to them. We don't know how many people are willing or, or ready to to receive it, right? Because if we sit here and, and just do nothing. So, yeah. Wow. And so it took your wife a little bit to kind of come around to this this new crazy passion that you had for the gospel, eh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it uh, probably a couple of weeks or a month later, she started kind of understanding because she – what really upset her too is like she – she went through all these like you know you have the app she went apps, she went through what devotion, sorry uh, de devotions okay like like on the bible app you have you can click like marriage devotion 
okay. uh, wife devotion, all of that stuff where you you read uh, one verse and a whole thing of um, marriage stuff. So she would read that, and she's like, "How is it that you don't do anything, and you're so much more spiritual than me?" And I was like, "Huh?" And I was like, "Get rid of all that devotion stuff." I was like, and let's just read the word of God. I was like, that's what gives us real um, power. The real, it gives us life, you know? Um, so that that pretty much changed her life as well. I didn't really mention, so in the beginning of our marriage, like life was hard and we, we fought a lot. But then when I got saved, that completely changed because I was no longer angry with her. Like we, she would be mad at me or something and I... I was gentle and loving. And that's what won her over to Christ. Hmm. But now even though all our sin, all our past, my pornography, her, um, I don't know what you call it, when you... Promiscuity. Promiscuity, yeah. Um, you know, it's like all that is in the past. Now, there is times I've had where Satan's like, hey, do you remember all the stuff she did? I was like, you bet I do. But it's covered, covered under the blood. You know, yeah. it's like her past, my past. It's no longer something I think or dwell on. Like we have, as far as I can tell, the best marriage I know. <laughs> and we had probably the, the worst dating beginning of marriage, but it is the power of God for me that people can see it. If they, if they knew who we were back then and they could see us now, it's like there's no way but by Christ and what he done for us. That's the awesome. The joy, the peace, the love in our family, you know. I, I know sitting across the living room from you guys there, and you guys told some of this story, some of the details of this, and I, I almost expected that as you would share things about her past, or maybe she would mention things the way that you used to be, that there would be a bit of awkwardness between the two of you, but it looked like you were both completely free, both really joyful about what God had done for you, and your past was... Not something that you're proud of, but it's something that you could confidently speak of because you know how forgiven you are and how exactly. uh, how much God has drastically and radically transformed your lives, right? So, yes, that's who we were. That's how I was raised. Yep. That's who I was like. And this is what God has done, right? So it, you, yep. you can be ashamed of it if you want, or you could use it for the glory of God, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's how we feel. And you guys have how many little kids now? We We got five. Five, yeah, right. Okay. Of a, so it's a one, three, five, seven, nine-year-old. Okay, so you've been married about yeah. 10 or 11 years, maybe? 11, yeah, 11 years this year, that's right. Okay, and really only the last two or three years that uh, where you've been free from sin in that way and really loving your wife. I mean, you loved your yeah. wife from yeah, when you so got five, married. Yep. Yeah, so five years would be where things got were starting to improve, but the last three three years probably it is now where life has been, I mean, just fantastic. I like, I think it's probably going to happen, but we haven't really argued in probably two years now where life is <laughs> life is just good because I'm the type where if she's angry, I'm still smiling and she just gets more angry. But it's like I just I'm just so happy that <laughs> that she uh, she eventually rubs rubs off on her and stuff. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And and the power of the gospel continues to sustain you and to keep you from sin and so on. Think, such, such, such like yeah. things. Exactly. It was actually, um, uh, when was it? This was last week. You posted a video. There, there's some, uh, some things I've been really thinking about. And I was looking to myself. It's like, how could I do this task set before me? 
And I was praying and I was like, I, I just don't know how this task is going to be possible. And then you posted that video. And then I watched it and I was like, that is exactly right. I need to take my eyes off of me and point to Christ. Like he's the one. Because I told my wife, I was like, I, I can do it. Who made lifts? I was like, God made my lifts. He can do it. He can use me. Like, who am I to say, hey, I'm not able to do this when uh, God can give me the power to do that? Okay. So, that, yeah. that task, if you don't mind me asking, is that a, a secret task or is it something that you're public about? Uh, secret for now. Yeah, I'm not sure if I can share it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, I might know, but I, I wasn't okay. sure if it was public information. So, but, I don't know uh, either. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it, you know... I, I do live a life of rejoicing. I do yep. very consistently am I'm celebrating, I'm thankful, I'm uh, grateful for what God has done. But it it doesn't mean that life is always smooth. You know, we've had our ups yeah. and downs. We've had some difficulties even lately. There's been some real deep trials for us and things that we don't know mm -hmm. how to get, get past and overcome. But there seems to be now that the gospel has become so plain and clear to me, there's yeah. like, a, there's one thing that's constant. There's one thing that's steady. You know, we, there's a an old hymn that we sing. We have an anchor that keeps the soul mm, yeah. steadfast and sure while the billows roll. You know, we, we're fastened to the rock that cannot move. And so when life's waves go up and down and the boat seems to be just about breaking and everything feels chaotic and crazy, one thing I still know, Christ took my place. He died for my sins. He rose again. Nothing can yeah. separate me from the love of God in Christ. He will keep me by his power unto the day of salvation. I am completely secure in him. I'm loved by him regardless of my performance. And on and on it goes, right? Like no matter yeah. what happens around me, my my ship is fastened to that rock and it will not be moved. So Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Amen. Yeah, that's good. Uh, any uh, any other big points that you were hoping to make mention of that maybe you forgot or something you want to add to it? You know what? I wrote out a big summary point list. I was like, if I start with that, I'm going to forget everything. So I, the biggest thing for me, my point would be Christ redeems. When I look at our past, I look at her past, how God could use such broken people when we were together. So, so broken, yet make it so perfect or uh, not perfect, but uh, loving, joyful, like the peace you can have through the power of God. Like you said, mm -hmm. all that stuff, when you have all these trials, but when you're anchored to Christ, he'll get you through all of that, right? Like that's, that would be my thing. Christ is able to bring you through the trials and temptations of life. I was going to ask you yet too, whatever, you, you talked about your dad quite a bit. Where is yep. he at now or what happened with your dad? Oh yeah. So he actually uh, passed away about four years ago. Uh, he died of cancer. So just yeah. after you became a Christian. Yep. Yep. So I, yeah, I had been a Christian a couple of years and then uh, I, he passed away. That was a quite an interesting story because I, I remember I really, really prayed for him. Like, Lord, if, if you take him, like, give me a, like, I probably shouldn't do it, but I, I was praying, like, give me a sign. He's going to heaven. Like I, I need to know where he's going. Okay. And, and we had, uh, so he was really sick. And then we got a video where he like, he's just laying in the bed. He's just breathing. And uh, all of us pretty much rushed out to uh, Slave Lake, which is about eight hours north um, that day. And then that night that we got there that night and we 
we watched him in the bed. He was just breathing, right? Like all of us were just crying. And that night, um, my brother said that he, uh, there was a man there, witnessed to him, shared the gospel. And my brother was the only one he stayed the night there. And then he said when he, when he passed, it's like he's like, he lifted up his hand. And he was paralyzed. His whole one side was paralyzed. But then he lifted up his hands. And then he went down. And then he just, he died. So some um, random guy came along and shared the gospel with him. Yeah, some, some church there. There's a church there that came and shared the gospel. Wow. And he said he believed, like he, he believed, he said, he, yeah, I want to believe on Christ and all that. And I, I do pray that he, the Lord would save him the last second. He would still save him. You know, it's like, man, I, I don't know. I pray he's there. I hope to see he's there. Yeah. Especially with all those fond memories of him as you in your childhood, right? Yeah. Amen. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited for you. This is uh, it's pretty thrilling to see now that you yeah. can start a new legacy, right? Like, none of the drunkenness that your dad had and you can yeah. be free from the pornography that you were raised on your wife can start a whole new family lineage you know and have a line yeah. of children who love god and serve uh, people and you know have that harmony you know sex is redeemed and um yeah, yeah. god is starting something fresh right and that's really yeah. exciting to see yeah that that is the power of god to redeem the the marriage area like like you said, I think sex isn't Satan doesn't like actually like sex. He perverts it and that we could have such good, good marriage. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Amen. Well, I appreciate you sharing your story and being so vulnerable and giving God the glory for it. Oh, not a problem. Appreciate you reaching out. Perfect.